Hello and welcome to Turning Point Sermons. My name is Cameron Howell. Today we're continuing a series from Pastor Ryan Thompson entitled Second Generation Christianity. I sure hope you've been enjoying these uh, and this sermon is entitled Continue. Second Generation Christianity talking about the fact number one that God's plan is a generational faith in our in our homes and in our lives in our churches. God wants us to take what we've received and to share it with someone else. Sometimes that means biologically, if God gives you children, to pass your faith on to your children, that God, that, that our children come to know the God of their fathers. And sometimes that's not biologically, that's, that's spiritually speaking, that there is a friend, a neighbor, a relative, a coworker, somebody that you meet, that you, you invest in, and it might be your Sunday school teacher, it might be with young people, it might be with people the same age as you, but another generation of Christians, that you share your faith. God intends for every one of us to be witnesses unto him, to, to share and talk about what we, what is a witness? It's somebody that tells what they've seen and experienced. If you call a witness to the stand in a court of law, what are they supposed to do? What they're supposed to do is testify to what they have seen, heard, and experienced. And the Bible says, you shall be witnesses unto me. Acts 1, where we've been studying on Sunday mornings, going through the book of Acts. Well, what is that? We are called to testify of what we've seen, heard, and experienced. And so we're talking about the second generation and uh, second generation Christianity, that of, of those that were maybe born into Christianity or born into Christian homes. I've given you my testimony for the sake of time. I won't go back through it, but I'm a first generation Christian, raised by a single mom, did not grow up in the church, or at least was not born into the church, was saved as a boy. And I, I clearly remember remember two very different homes and two very different lives before Christ and after Christ in our family. My wife's experience is very different. She was born into a pastor's home, and uh, the church she went to when she was three days old, her dad is still the pastor of that church in Northern California today, and he'll be preaching in that same church today that he was the three days after she was born. She was born, only went to one church her entire life. Her grandfather was a pastor of the same church, and not the same church in Northern California, but he pastored the same church for 56 or 57 years, just went to heaven last week, and passed away this past week in Rockford, Illinois, pastored the same church, 56, 57 years. Very different family history from mine. But God has brought us together, and one of our greatest passions is that in our home and in our lives and in our ministry, God will use us to raise up another generation of Christians. That's why we have Newport Christian School. That's why we had teen camp this last week, and I see several of our young people that were at teen camp all week that might not normally come back to church on a Sunday night, and you're here tonight. I'm proud of that. We've challenged them to really start taking some steps of growth in their lives. What, 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 what's, what's the purpose? We want to see another generation rise up. And so we've looked at three different messages already. The title of each message is a one-word verb. The first one, I challenged you back the end of February, beginning of March. With, with, with second generation Christians was rejoice. In Deuteronomy chapter number six, it talks about the fact that in where we're at, if you have your Bibles, I don't know if I told you to turn there or not. We're going to start in Deuteronomy six, where we've been for our text, this entire series. And we will actually be moving over into the New Testament tonight. But we're going to launch here from Deuteronomy 6. The previous three we've stayed in Deuteronomy 5, 6, and 7. What's happening in this passage, what's happening in this, in this part, this book, is there is a new generation of the children of Israel, the Israelites, that is getting ready to fulfill God's plan for them and, and is getting ready to... Um, 
to, to enter into the promised land, enter into Canaan. And Moses, Moses is getting them ready. Well, it was their dads that were supposed to go into Canaan. God had promised the promised land to their, their, their parents, their dads and grandparents, their dads and grandfathers, their parents and grandparents. But they doubted, they doubted God's plan. They didn't think God could do it. So because of their unbelief, they wandered for 40 years in the wilderness. Now, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is, is a combination of two words. That word means, uh, it comes from the word deuteros, which means second, and nomos, which means law. It's a second law. The first law, from the law of Moses came at Mount Sinai, what we call the Ten Commandments in Exodus. And, and that was given to the children of Israel. And you remember because of the rebellion of the children of Israel, what happened? He came and he smashed the tablets. Remember that? And, and it, they had given that to a previous generation, but that generation went astray. So now there is a second generation. There is a third. There's a new generation that is getting the law of Moses before Moses is going to die. Moses, the leader of the Israelites, is not going to go into Canaan with them. But he's giving them the law of Moses, and Joshua will lead them in. And so it's a new generation. That's what we're reading, is Moses preparing a new generation to fulfill God's plan for their lives. I've said it multiple times when we read the book of Deuteronomy. It is not written to the New Testament church. It is written to the Israelites. It is about the Israelites. However, the Bible does say that all of these things were written for our learning and for our example. And while we are not the children of Israel, we are, we, we are God's children uh, as Christians. While, while there is some difference, in my opinion, between Israel and the church, I don't, I don't uh, believe in replacement theology, which says the church replaces Israel. Um, I don't believe in that. There's a difference. We can still see the nature of God, the working of God, the love God had for his people, the commands God had uh, for, those, for his children. And so where we've been, the first one was rejoice. Moses told the children of Israel, you're about to go into a place with houses you didn't build, with vineyards you didn't plant, with, with all of these blessings. And the challenge to, to next generation, second generation Christians was rejoice if you've been born into a Christian home. There are many who were not who wished that they were. And they would have saved a lot of heartache and a lot of struggle and a lot of difficulty and they, they would have said, man, I wish I would have known all of this earlier. I would have had such a head start in my life or in my Christian life if I would have been brought up like this. But sometimes when you're brought up in the church, it's the exact opposite. Those that weren't brought up in the church say, man, I sure wish I would have been brought up in the church. Is there anybody like that here today? You were not brought up in the church. You got saved at a later age and, and you would have wished you would have been brought up in the church. Anybody like, I see hands all over this place. But isn't it interesting that sometimes those that are brought up in the church, the idea is, man, I wish I didn't have to grow up like this. Why do I have to be in a Christian family? Why do I have to go to church on a Sunday night? Why, why can't I try that? Why can't I go there? Why can't I do that? Why can't I experiment with that? Every, all the other kids my age are doing that. And sometimes Christian young people, if they're not careful, they don't rejoice about the spiritual head start, if you will, that they've been given. They, they look at it and they wish that they didn't have to be brought up in the church. And the first challenge was rejoice. The next challenge was, that's one of the blessings of being brought up in the church is that you've been given much at an early age. And the Bible says, to whom much is given, of him shall much be required. The second message was the verb beware. Beware. There are some dangers. Chapter 6, verse number 12, the Bible says, Then 
Beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. How could it be, they, they, as they went into Canaan, how could it be that they would forget the Lord that brought them up out of the house of Egypt, out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage? Well, one reason is they weren't there or if they were, they, were, they, they weren't there. And I'm trying to think now with my chronology, I don't think any of them would have been there. They weren't there when they were brought up out of Egypt. They don't remember. And if they were, they, they would not have been. They were too young because everybody that was 20 and under is the only ones that lived through the wilderness wanderings. And so they, they, they would not have ever been under bondage. They would not have seen the effects of Egypt. They would not have personally experienced the pain of being in bondage in Egypt. Egypt, a picture of the world, a picture of sin. And, 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 and he says there, beware lest you forget all that God has done. Sometimes, again, when all that you know is, is being surrounded in a Christian environment and church every week and Sunday school since you were a little child and being brought up in the nursery, and if that's all you know, sometimes we can take that for granted. And he said, beware lest thou forget the Lord thy God. And we start looking and thinking, I wonder what it's like over in Egypt. He said, oh no, my plan is much better for you. Follow my plan for your life. And then last, last Sunday night, we talked about embrace. Embrace. And we looked in chapter 7, all the personal pronouns, all the you and, and thee and thou and thy and ye and all of those um, just all over. And what is he saying? This, you must embrace this faith for yourself. For this fourth and final message, let's start in Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 1, where we've started, um, where we've started the, the first three messages, I believe. Deuteronomy 6, verse number 1. Follow along, if you will, if you have a copy of God's Word there. Deuteronomy 6, verse number 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. The first generation that's supposed to do it are, are the adults there, that you're supposed to do this. Notice this, verse number two. Would you read verse two aloud with me if you have your Bible open there? Ready? Begin. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Do you see it here? What is Moses saying? I want you to embrace this faith for yourself, and here's the goal. It's for you, and it's for your son, and it's for your son's son. I want you to have a generational faith. I want you to raise up not only one generation. Here we see three generations. I want you to raise up two generations behind you. And, and where this was written, and even to this day, in Eastern culture, Many Eastern cultures, often the family ties and the family bonds are much stronger than they can sometimes tend to be in Western culture. In Eastern culture, it would not be unheard of for often many generations to live together. And if they don't live in the same home, to live uh, in the same, on the same property. And that, generally speaking, is not often how Western culture operates. Sometimes it does, of course. I, I lived in a home with my mom and my grandma all growing up. I, I understand that sometimes that operates that way. But generally speaking, that's not how Western culture operates. And, and if you're thankful that you don't live with your mother-in-law, would you say amen tonight? Some of you just got in trouble there. And uh, I always give mother-in-laws a hard time. I guess that's because I'll never have to be one, but my wife will be, so I should be nicer to them, right? Some of you are mother-in-laws, and, and I didn't mean to offend you there, but often in, in, in Eastern culture, it was a very generational. There were patriarchs and matriarchs, and there's a great respect for elders. 
There's a great respect for the teaching and the wisdom of elders. And that, that runs somewhat through American culture as well, but, but in, in a lot of ways and in a lot of pockets, that doesn't run. There is a disrespect for, for elders. There is a disrespect for those and maybe be, make fun of those that are older or whatever it might be. Well, in these cultures, it was very, and here's the command. It would have been much more natural, but the command was, I want you to embrace this, and then I want you to teach your kids, and I want you to teach your grandkids. Here's, the, here's an interesting thought. An interesting thought here, as, as Moses tells them, I want you to be responsible for teaching, for praying for, for showing two generations how God wants them to live. And if you and I will do that, and then the next generation does that, it's hard for our faith to be lost. Verse 3, it says, Here, therefore, Israel, observe to do it. To do what? To raise up a couple generations in, in, to, in the commands of God's word, and that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily. There's a strength that comes to the people of God when, when it's a generational faith, as the Lord thy God, God of thy fathers. Notice again, he talks about their fathers. This generational faith hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Here's the interesting thought. If we have a prayer and a desire and a take somewhat of a responsibility to, to reaching two generations with the Christian faith, here's an interesting thought. I was reminded as I read this passage of the, the statement, many of you have undoubtedly heard it from our, one of our former presidents, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan said this, he said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day, we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like in the United States where men were free. And I don't need to get too far off into politics tonight and, and, and into current events and what's happening, but it is interesting to see how quickly in our nation history can be erased. How quickly in our nation mentalities can be changed. And that which we always have believed or thought or done or was just kind of a part. I mean, within weeks or within months, the entire narrative can shift. I saw where former presidents had, had and, 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 and president hopefuls in the last three or four years had said wonderful things about Mount Rushmore, and then our current president went to Mount Rushmore on Friday or Saturday, and, and the news was all about how this is stolen Indian land, and this, these, these men were slave owners and all of this. Well, what do we see happening? Uh, again, I don't know what changed from four or five years ago when a previous president was there talking about what a wonderful monument it was. I'm not sure how the truth of that monument changed in four or five years, but you can see quickly how perception can be changed, how mentalities can be changed. And I'm far less concerned with Mount Rushmore than I am with my children and your children growing up to know, to love, and to live for Jesus Christ. But it can quickly be lost. Reagan said, freedom is only one generation away from extinction. May I say this, every church is only one generation away from extinction. Now, I understand the promise of God that the body of Christ, the church of God, will it, it, the gates of hell, the Bible says, shall not prevail against it. But that is not a promise to an individual local body. If that were true, no church would ever close. Have you ever heard of a church that closed? Have you ever heard of a church that dissolved? 
Have you ever heard of a church that died? It was a once great thriving church and it now no longer exists. That promise does not mean that every single local assembly will never close its doors. It means that there will always be the body of Christ, that there will always be groups of believers. But our local assembly right here is only one generation away from extinction. If we, and there are many churches, I've traveled to many churches across our country speaking and doing other things, and there are many churches across our country that you go in and and they have failed to reach another generation, and now they are wonderful, godly, faithful people, but if something doesn't change 10 or 20 years from now, there will not be anybody left to go to, to attend that church because they are all 60 and 70 and 80 and above. And I'm thankful for 60 and 70 and 80 and above lifelong Christians, but every church is only one generation away from extinction. Can I say this? Every Christian family is only one generation away from extinction. If our children and our children's children do not embrace it, that which was once a committed Christian family, and the Thompson name maybe is known here in this church as a Christian family, if my children choose not to embrace the, the God of the Bible for themselves, guess what? Very quickly, the Thompson family will no longer be a Christian family. So we see here an interesting thing that if you focus on reaching two generations, there's a strength that comes against that. Because if I reach my children and then I have a part in influencing and and reaching and training and being an example to my grandchildren, and then my kids reach their children and then they influence and invest in and train their grandchildren, and then my grandkids reach their children, and you see how there's a strength, the Bible says that you'll increase, there's a strength that comes when our passion is to pass down our faith to at least two generations. And that's what we see right here. And, And as I read verse number two, As I read that in verse 2, I was reminded of a similar picture and pattern in the New Testament. It's where we're going to spend the rest of our message tonight. Will you turn with me to 2 Timothy, and we'll get to our message. Our message this evening, we'll get there in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter number 1. I had a bookmark there, and I moved it. Now i got to remember where 2 Timothy is. There we go. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Would you read 2 Timothy 1, verse number 5 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Unfeigned just means authentic. It means not faked. It means a, a real faith. When I recall, and do you see what we see in 2 Timothy 1, 5? The unfeigned faith that was first in your grandma, and next it was in your mom, and I believe it's in you also. When I recall those things, that three generation, look at verse number six, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. Paul says, "You, yes, you, you've been passed down. There are two generations before you that have come to know Christ in your family, but now it's your responsibility, as I talked about last week, to embrace what I've given you. Timothy, the book that you're reading to Timothy is what we call a pastoral epistle. It's a, the word epistle just means a letter 
there. It's a letter to a pastor, to pastors. Timothy was a young pastor. Paul was an older mentor, an older spiritual mentor, church planner, missionary. And he's writing to a young pastor and he says, Timothy, you have a history of faith in your life, but you need to stir that gift up in your own life. You need to do that. Turn over, if you will, to chapter 2, what he tells Timothy. Chapter 2, verse number 1. Even the fact that this letter was written is showing us that Paul believed in passing his faith on to another generation. Timothy, and you can read 1 Timothy's another letter he, Paul wrote to his young pastor, uh, protege, if you will. Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, verse number 1. Thou therefore see it there, my what church? Thou therefore my son. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Titus, TJ, Trey, come on up here, boys. Come on up real quick. So we see, we saw in, in Deuteronomy, three generations. We saw with Timothy, him, his mom, his grandma, three generations. But Paul here in 2 Timothy chapter number 2, he gives us four generations. And so he says, he says, Paul says to Timothy, I guess I should switch since that's your real name, right? TJ, Timothy, Jack. So we'll do it to Timothy. Paul says to Timothy, he says, the things which thou, you have heard of me, Paul, the same, the same things I've taught you about God, I want you to commit to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Paul here says, if we're going to reach the world for Christ, if we're going to make an impact in our world, this is the plan. The goal is not we get saved, we know Christ, we have the Bible, and we live a nice, comfortable Christian life the rest of our days. The goal is, I f and by the way, every Timothy needs a Paul, and every Paul needs a Timothy. Timothy's need someone in pouring into them, and, and Paul's need someone to find somebody they can pour into. And when I say Paul and Timothy, I'm not just talking about pastors. Every Christian, you shall be witnesses. You need someone you're pouring into, you're investing in, you're praying with, you're encouraging. And, 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 and you need to be getting that from someone else as well. That's the way it's supposed to work. Paul said, I want you to receive from me the things which I've, that you've heard of me, the same commit thou to faithful men. So as you're receiving from me, you're learning from me, I need you to find somebody else to share that with, and those faithful men shall be able to teach others also. This is how the church uh, works. This is how the world is reached. This is how those things happen. You boys can have a quick Four generations there. So we see 2 Timothy chapter number, now, now skip down to chapter 3. I'm going somewhere. I'll get into the message here. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I want you to read verse 14. This is the text of our uh, title of our message. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14. Ready? Begin. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Notice this, verse 15. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Second word of verse 14. Would you say it nice and loud with me tonight? But what? But? But what? Talk to me now. But what? Continue. And here, I, I, we might have one more message in the second generation Christianity. I, I've got some thoughts on an outline. I don't know if I'll preach it or not. If not, this may be, this was originally going to be the last one. And as I studied for this one, I had some thoughts on another one. So we'll see. But here's the verb, the command, the challenge tonight for the next generation. But 
continue. Continue. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing whom thou hast learned them. That is the goal for those that are young people in here, that you will continue in the things you have learned and been assured of. A Lifeway research study in 2017 said that, listen to this, 66% of teens who attended church regularly for at least one year in high school stopped attending church regularly for at least one year of their college years. Let me say that again. Basically, let me rephrase it. Those that went to church during high school, only about one in three stayed faithful to church, and what they described as faithful to church was at least two times per month stayed faithful to church for all four years, the first four years after they got out of college. Those that, that were in church at least a full year going pretty much every week during high school, when they got out of high school, only one in three for the next four years went to church at least two times a month. That was in 2017. There's a disconnect of but continue. And I understand life gets busy in studies and this and work and that and, and there's fun and there's, but this is God's plan and the church is only one generation away and your family is only one generation away and my family is only one generation away. And God's plan is for, for a second generation, rejoice in what you've been given, beware what you could forget, embrace it for yourself, and then make a commitment, a passion that I will continue. If my mom stops going to church, if my dad walks away from the Lord, if my grandparents don't care about it at all, I am going to continue in the things which I have learned. And, and there's something wrong when only one of three, according to what they would call Protestant or evangelical uh, young people that grew up uh, in, in Bible preaching churches for the most part, two-thirds of them somewhere in the first four years are getting to the place that God's house and, and their commitment to those things is not that important in their lives. Something is wrong. I want us to see, and we're going to look at a good bit of scripture in 2 Timothy, but I'll try to move along and, and, and share some things. I want us to see a few things from these passages. Number one, there is a danger to continuing, a danger to continuing. Chapter two, verse number four, would you follow along? You're going to get more out of the message if you see God's word for yourself. Chapter 2, verse number 4. Notice what it says. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. What is Paul? By the way, the whole purpose of this letter is to teach a younger man to go on to live for God and to impact other generations with his life. And what does Paul say? If you're going to be a faithful soldier of Jesus Christ, you cannot get distracted with the things of this world. If you're a soldier, if you're on the battlefield, we have some, some men in our church, I see Lee and there's some others that have been deployed to battlefields on behalf of our of the United States military. Guess what? If you're on the battlefield, you cannot be distracted in those times when you're on duty. You cannot be distracted uh, with, with what's happening with the price of gas and oil and this and that and, and what new restaurant opened up near my house. And those things are not all you're focused on is the task at hand. What are the orders I've been given? Who is the enemy that I'm fighting? What's the victory that I'm striving? And if you're going to be a good soldier, if you're going to war, you cannot get entangled, distracted by the things of this world. And so many, I say young people, really it's not young people, all of us can get so distracted and entangled in the things of this world that all of a sudden that which was once so precious to us and that which was once so important to us no longer means what it used to mean. And now we feel, I remember one of my greatest mentors, probably one of the top five men that influenced my life. Uh, my dad would be on that list. 
list. My father-in-law would be on that list. My youth pastor would be on that list. And there would be a high school teacher on that list. And then this man that was a layman, that he's the one that taught me how to drive a stick shift. I, I didn't grow up with a dad in my home. He, he's the one that took me to the dads and lads camp out in our church. And he's the one that taught me uh, how he helped me get a resume to help me get my first job. He got me one of my, one of my, my third job. He helped me get it at a place where he was an executive, a wonderful, faithful, godly Christian man. I saw him at your, your parents' funeral, Karen, your, your dad's funeral, Karen and Christine, and, 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 and I, I got to talk to him. I love him dearly, but I'll never forget uh, sitting down with him. This was a man that, that had raised his family in church, and I, this sounds like I'm, I'm being negative and critical. I don't mean it this way, but I'll never forget. He had kind of, he, he had moved over to another country to work in business and had gotten out of church. I believe he's now back going to church. He never stopped loving God, but really that which he had given his life to, he kind of took a step back from those priorities. And I'll never forget asking him, because this was a man I looked up to that he taught me in my singles department. He coached me in soccer, all as a layperson, was never on paid staff at our church. And I'll never forget sitting down with him and asking him, and it was just an honest question. We had a close relationship. This was after he hadn't been in church for probably a year or two. And I said, now talk to me. I watched you raise your whole family. How is it that this can happen? And I'll never forget, he said, Ryan, it's amazing if you just pull away a little bit how quickly you fill that time with other things. I filled that time with work. I filled that time with hobbies. I filled that, and, 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 and again, to this day, I gave him a hug the last time I saw him. It's not a criticism. He's one of, the, one of the most wonderful men I've ever met that I know. But he told me, he said, Ryan, it's amazing how quickly you pull back a little bit from some of those commitments to God how quickly you fill them with other things. I believe what he described was right there. 2 Timothy 2.4, he got entangled with some of the affairs of this world. There's a danger to continuing. Notice that. Notice, skip down to chapter 3, verse number 1. Chapter 3, verse number 1, not only the affairs of this world, worldly priorities, education, job, finances, things that are not sinful in and of themselves, but if they become a priority over God, they can become sinful in our lives. Chapter 3, verse number 1, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despiser of those that are good, Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such, he tells Timothy, turn away, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, led away with divers' lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. And, and, and he goes on to talk about two with Moses. They resist the truth and, and, and they, they're reprobate now concerning the faith. What does he say? Not only the affairs of this world, world can pull us away from continuing, but sometimes it's the influences all around us. He said, be careful. There is sin. And the longer, the closer we get to the return of Christ, the worse it's going to get in our world and in our society. And he said to Timothy in the same chapter where he's about to say, but continue, he says, from such turn away. Those wrong priorities, those wrong influences can pull you. They're dangerous to continuing trials and persecutions. Notice, look, verse number 12, verse number 12. 
Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And then he says in verse number 14, but continue. Timothy, there are some dangers to you. Paul was able to say, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He said, you have not gotten there yet, Timothy. And there are some dangers. The affairs of this world, you can get going after your degree and you can get going after this pleasure and this career and this, whatever it might be, you get entangled with this world. It might be just the sinful influences all around us. It's going to wax worse and worse. It might be some trials in your life that pull you away from God. He said, you, if you live godly, you will suffer persecution and evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse and they will deceive you, but continue. What is basically in this, and we can look at some other verses for the sake of time, I won't. What is Paul telling Timothy? Everything in your life, it will seem like, is going to be pulling at you. And young people, you've got so many things, but you're not the only ones. Moms and dads and singles and college-age students and, and grandparents, there are so many things pulling at us. There are the cares of this world, and there are finances, and there are job requirements, and there are, there are school situations, and there's these relationships, and this mentor discouraged us and let us down, and, and we face persecution and trials, and life was hard as we lived for Jesus. And all of these things, he says, you need to be aware. There are some dangers to you continuing, but Timothy, continue in the things you've learned. Keep going. Young people, make a commitment. Parents, make a commitment. College students, make a commitment. Grandparents, make a commitment. Single mom, make a commitment. Single dad, make a commitment. Whatever you find yourself, that no matter what I find pulling me away, I am going to continue. Yes, a pastor may have let me down. This person may have lied and manipulated and used me. This person might have been, been unkind to me. This might have happened in my life, but I'm not going to let those things pull me away. I'm going to, with God's help, I'm going to finish my course with joy dangerous to continue. Number two, we see God's design to continue. Verse number 20 of chapter two. Chapter two, verse 20. Again, all of this is in context. Paul writing to Timothy as a young pastor prodigy or protege, more I should, would be a better word. Chapter two, verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. He says, if you have a, a big house, you have a rich person's house, you've got some things that are just common, might be the gardening tools and a little wooden bowl and that you could throw anything in that you don't care about, it's dirty, it gets messed up. But there are some vessels of gold and silver, you're not going to take that out for gardening. You're not going to use that to wash the dishes in necessarily. The, there are some things, any of you, I don't, people don't, I don't know if people really have this anymore. Any of you have fine china? You have, you have nice china in your house? And you haven't used it for a couple decades? All right, that's how fine china works, right? When we got married, I, that was kind of a thing to do, and we have china. Do we still have china? Somewhere we have china. When was the last time we used our china? Who knows? It's been a long time. Thank you to all those people that bought that for us for wedding gifts. I would rather have the money now, but that's all right. But that we would only pull that, back when we used it, we would only pull that out for like an anniversary or a really special meal with someone coming over. He said, in every house there are some really common things that don't mean much, and then there's some really valuable vessels. Look what he says, verse number 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, 
peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle with all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. What does he say here? And I guess that wasn't a great illustration because we don't use our fine china. What he's saying is you want to be that, that you want to be a vessel that the master will use and you're going to have to purge yourself. If you're, you're God's designed for you to live a lifetime for him, you're going to have to deal with sin in your life. He said, flee youthful lusts. You're going to have to seek after righteousness, follow righteousness. You're going to have to stay away from the traps. He said here, they are taken captive. They are snared uh, by, by the devil. They are snared in those things. The snare of the devil taken captive by his will. Flee youthful lusts. Follow righteousness. You don't need to question everything. I'm not saying that we don't prove what we're taught by scripture, but sometimes when you're brought up in the church, it's, we talked about this last week, we question everything. Well, do I really have to do that? And do I really have, why can't I do that? And what's wrong with, I think, you know, God, God created all the herbs of the field. So what's wrong if I smoke that one? And what's wrong if I snort that one? God made it. And, and some of that stuff might sound kind of funny, but there's all of these, these, the, we gender these questions, these, these unlearned questions that gender starts. We question everything. And Paul said, he said to Timothy, don't do that. Purge yourself. And, and the master has a plan for you. He'll use you in great ways, but you're going to have to live a pure life. Forgot the statement, but Pastor Nance at team camp, he made, I believe it was him, Brother Ryan, he made some statement along the lines of God's power comes through our purity. Something along those lines about as, as we purify ourselves, we get rid of the things in our lives that shouldn't be there. Now, we will never get more of the Holy Spirit as, as, as Savior, but God can use us in better ways, and that's exactly what it's saying here. This is not talking about salvation. You're not earning your way to heaven. It's talking about our usefulness. If there's something we're doing that's dirtying up our vessel all of the time, the master's not going to, you're not going to put that out for use. You have a dirty vessel? Oh, no. But if we are vessels unto honor, avoid satanic traps. This week at teen camp, there was powerful preaching. And it was amazing how many young people from our church and from other youth groups talked about and came to different counselors and, and admitted, I'm doing some things in my life, some of which my parents know nothing about and some that they do that's leading me down a wrong path away from what God wants. And what were they saying? I know that I am not, and this is a danger to me continuing for a lifetime. If I let this sin get a stronghold in my life, if I, if I don't do these things, and we understand there's a danger to continuing, but God's design to continue is to stay close to him, to purify our lives, to walk in purity, to seek to know we'll never be perfect. And all of our righteousness, I understand, is this filthy rags. But it says here, purge Timothy, be careful about these traps, flee youthful lusts, follow righteousness. In your youthful years, one of the greatest lies of Satan is that you can experiment with things in your teen years and in your 20s, and it will have no effect on your 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s. How many of us that are in our 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s can, can testify? that the things that you do or don't do in your teen years and in your 20s do impact us in the decades to come. Satan convinces teens you can try this and go there and do that and, and there will be no ramifications. Now God's grace is real. God's mercy is real. God's power is real. Just because you do some things you shouldn't do in your teens, your 20s, doesn't mean God can't use you. But young people, don't buy into the lie that it also means it, there will be no effects in your life. 
God can still use you in spite of a past, but there will be some challenges and some difficulties along that path. And Paul tells Timothy, follow God's design, flee youthful lusts, follow righteousness. Isn't it amazing? A letter written over 2000, about 2000 years ago, how relevant it is today. Teenagers flee youthful lusts. Now, the vehicles through which we find youthful lust might have, have changed and the technology may have improved, but the battles were the same 2,000 years ago. Flee youthful lusts. Follow righteousness. Number three. Number three, if you're going to continue, doctrine is vital. Chapter one, verse number 12. Chapter one, verse number 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Paul said, I know whom I believed in and I believe he can keep me. He can keep me faithful. I know what I believe and who I believe but you you need to, Timothy, hold fast the form of sound words which you've heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Skip over. We said it already in chapter 2, verse 2. The, the things which you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same, the same commit thou to faithful men. What had he heard of him? Sometimes we as pastors we like to say, the same. That means you need to have a pipe organ in your church. Paul wasn't teaching Timothy you need to have a pipe organ in your church. Paul was teaching Timothy biblical doctrine. He wasn't teaching him preferential things or methodological things about the church. Well, you need to wear a sport coat, Timothy. I wore a sport coat. I don't know why I wear it. I take it off every, every message, but I wear it most of the time. That's not what he was teaching him. He, the same commit thou to faithful men is talking about the words of God, the truth of God, the doctrine of God. Chapter 3, verse number 14. Where we, where we saw it, but continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a holy uh, child, what did he learn? Here it is, thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able, it wasn't Paul's opinions, it wasn't Paul's traditions, it was the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says, all scripture is given by inspiration, is profitable for doctrine. Re do doctrine is teaching me what to believe, reproof. It's, it's, it's teaching me how to live it, correction, getting it right, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect. That means complete, truly furnished, completely furnished unto all good works, prepared to live for God for a lifetime. If you're going to continue, and if I'm going to continue, you must know what you believe. And there's a crisis of that with young people in their teens and in their 20s. They've never been grounded and rooted in Scripture. Probably once a month, I have somebody contact me through social media, through a phone call, through a text message. My wife and I, we've been in ministry now seven, eight years. We grew up here. We grew up there. We learned this. And we're just trying to figure out what we believe. Not about the deity of Christ. Not about salvation by grace through faith. They know what they believe there, but so many of these other things. And what does the Bible teach about that? And how should we live there? And they're struggling sometimes to continue because they're not grounded in what they believe, in whom they believe. They're not persuaded. I know whom I have believed. 
doctrine. And notice this, it says, knowing of whom we have learned then. Did you see that in, uh, in, verse, in chapter number um, Chapter 3, verse 14, where it says, but continue. The end, it says, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Church family, those of us that are a little older, can I say this? It is vital that they see authentic Christianity in us. One of the things Paul said is going to help you to continue is, you know, you know the example of the person that taught it to you. We have great power as mentors, as leaders, as to really encourage someone to discourage someone, to give them great faith, to disillusion them about the faith. Now, if you've had a mentor that's let you down, that's not an excuse to stop following God, but I understand it can be really tough. It can make us question, well, that guy was supposed to be speaking for God and preaching God's word, and I watched, and he did that, and handled that that way. Paul said, keep doing what I've told you because you've seen I live it in my life. How vital is that? for those of us trying to raise up another generation. Our faith cannot be a do as I say, not as I do faith, or we risk losing the next generation. And by the way, can I throw this in here where he says, knowing of whom thou hast learned them? Young people, teenagers, kids, college-age students, don't run from those whom you have learned things from. And I'm not talking about if there's an abusive situation, but, but a godly church with godly leaders. Sometimes kids grow up in a church, they get a little older and, and a little smarter, and they decide, decide they might need a, a cooler church or a, a more fun church or a church that has more opportunities for people my age. And our church tries to minister to every generation, but God never told you or me to find a church based on how they can minister to me at my age and stage of life. It's supposed to be a generational faith. And may I just say this, I'm not saying you can never move church. My wife and I moved churches five years ago, but it's supposed to be a generational faith, and there is much value in staying in a church that, where you have some spiritual fathers and grandfathers. As young people here leave the church, get plugged into the adult ministry. Get involved in serving and impact your generation through this church. And instead of leaving our church, or if you're watching from another church, leaving that church, again, unless God is leading you somewhere else, but instead of just going because it can serve you better, decide that you are going to be a part of the change to serve your generation better through the church where you learned of God. No church will ever build a strong church if 60, 70, or 80 percent of every graduating class does their, 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 their church where they were invested in by generations before. And again, I say that understanding every situation is different. I grew up in the same church for 25 years, 27 years, I guess, and, and I deserted that church. God was leading us here. I understand that, but sometimes it's not about God leading us to another place. It's about, well, that place has something that's a little more attractive to me, or they've got a better this department, they've got a better young Mary's department, or they've got a better singles department. They might, and we're, we do our best to minister to every group that it's here. We always want to be improving that. But he said, you see the generational faith. You don't get that if every time you go to this church for five years and that church for two, and then you go to this one, find a place where you can grow and bring your family up in a generational faith if God allows. Doctrine is key. It's why we must have our kids in church. It's why we, we, we should have our, our kids in youth group, daily devotional times for our children, daily training times in our homes, godly music, godly books, because here's the reality. If you have children, if, if you're a teacher in the Christian school, if, for our youth pastor and the youth group, we are not dealing with a neutral environment. Our families are not walking through a neutral environment. It is not that we're walking through a neutral environment, and as long as we pour a little good and a little God into our lives, everything's going to be good. We are walking through a spiritual minefield. 
We see it right here. There is, there's a tax from within. The Bible says foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. You know that beautiful little baby that was born to Sam and Nellie Ann this week? That little baby has a sin nature. They are not going to have to teach that baby how to disobey, how to get angry, how to lie. It's that you're not dealing with a neutral heart. Foolishness is there's attacks from within. There's attacks from without the culture around us and evil influences and entertainment. There's attacks, if you will, from beneath the spiritual warfare, our adversary as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So if that is true, that is our young people trying to live for God or walking along and inside they have a sin nature. And outside, they have sin and, and ungodly influences all around them. And in the spiritual realm, there's, there's spiritual warfare and there are attacks of the devil in their lives. Guess what? We cannot be passive and neutral in trying to raise up another generation. We've got to be on the offense and we've got to be trying to pour in God's word in our homes and pray together daily and send them a little note here and, hey, memorize this verse there. And I sent my boys an email this week while they were at camp. Hey, I think it was this week. Hey, here's a good video of a, of a, a five-minute video. Watch this. A good little truth and doing whatever we can to pour good in because all around them is are things that will be pulling away at their faith how are we counteracting those godly influence ungodly influences bible memory maybe spiritual podcasts and family worship and how are you growing and how am i growing and young people how are you fostering spiritual growth in your life and how are we fostering spiritual growth in others brother ryan and i talked for a little while with mr maris this week in teen camp how can we foster some opportunities for spiritual growth in and through our youth group why because if we're going to follow god they must get grounded in whom they've believed and in what they believe and why we believe it we We've got to understand, and that's what Paul told Timothy, hold fast to that doctrine, continue in the things which you have learned. And then lastly, lastly, if we're going to make it, continue for a lifetime, no matter what age you are, it's going to take dependence on God. Chapter 3, verse 10. Chapter 3, verse 10. But thou, Timothy, you've fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, by the way, is life matched his words, so important if we're going to raise up another generation. My purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity, my patience, persecutions, the afflictions you've seen me go through, which came unto me at Antioch. Hey, we're, we're studying Paul at Antioch. At Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured. Would you read the end of verse 11, starting with the word but, to the end word. Ready? Begin. But out of them all the Lord delivered me. You know what Paul said? You know the way that I've lived, but it wasn't in my own strength. It was God that gave me the strength to get through out of them all. He didn't say out of the really hard ones and the other ones I handled on my own. Out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Young person, you're struggling in your life with something. You're struggling. You're in college right now. You just got out of college. Whatever it might be. You're a, you're a, young, you're a, you're a single. You're a married. You're struggling. And, and you don't know if you can fight this one. You know how to get through there. And there's this temptation. And there's this struggle. And there's this character flaw that you have that you, you just beat yourself up over. And there's this affliction. And there's this trial. And there's this uncertainty. How am I going to keep living for God? When I, I, I saw uh, this week communication from someone in our church. I just don't understand what God is doing here. That's a natural thing in certain times of life. How are we going to get through those times when we don't understand what God is doing in our lives? It is bigger than us. You cannot continue. You cannot finish your course in your own strength. The, the, the flesh of man, the arm of flesh will fail you. Jesus never fails. 
If you're going to continue, you must learn to walk with God, to depend upon God. It must be as we depend on and follow God. Man will fail us, and our flesh will fail us, and leaders will disappoint us, and friends will betray us. And every time something like that happens, it's a danger for us to say, well, maybe I'm not going to continue. My flesh failed, and so I'm done there. My, that leader failed me. I'm done here. My, my friend failed me there. I'm done there. A spouse failed me. But Jesus never fails out of them all the Lord deliver me. Chapter 2, verse number 1, he tells him, thou therefore my son, Timothy, be strong. Be strong what? In your own strength. That's not what he said. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The strength that you need to follow God is found in resting in him, in abiding in him, in getting into his word, in faithfulness to his house, in daily prayer, in walking by faith when you can't understand. He said, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. Verse 8, Last, I think I already said last place we're going to look, but this will be the last place we'll look. Chapter 1, verse number 8, he said, Be thou not therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Hey, Timothy, don't be ashamed of being a Christian, nor of me his prisoner, but be thou partakers of the affliction of the gospel, notice this, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And he said, for the which cause, verse 12, I suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I can keep going, not because I'm able, but because he's able. I can rest in him, and he can carry me through this difficulty, and he can carry me through this turmoil, and he can carry me through this heartache, and when I lose a loved one, and when I lose a leader, and when that relationship gets strained, and when that person does me wrong, and when I see hypocrisy in the church, and when I see Christians calling themselves Christians and acting like the world, you know what? I am not going to be ashamed to be called a Christian. I'm going to continue on, not because of my own strength, but because I am persuaded. I know who I believe and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. We must learn to keep our eyes on Christ. Young person, old person, and every person in between, the only way we are going to live a lifetime for God and raise up a godly heritage is through dependence on God more of him and less of us. I long to see another generation. I long to see you rejoice that you were given some spiritual head starts. I long to see you beware, understanding there's a danger. You've never lived in the world, and so there are temptations and, and appeals that others aren't, aren't, don't see. I long to see you embrace the faith of your parents the faith of a mom, a dad, a grandma, a grandpa, for yourself. And I long to see you continue. But continue, Timothy. Continue. There are going to be some dangers to you continuing from within, from without, from beneath. There are going to be some dangers to you continuing. God has a design. If you're going to continue, you're going to have to be a vessel unto honor. There's some things you're going to have to say I'm not going to get involved with. Some things I'm not going to allow into my life because it'll pull me away from God. If you're going to continue, you're going to have to, doctrine is vital, you're going to have to know who you believe and what you believe. And if you're going to continue, you have to understand you can't do it in your own strength. It's got to be in the strength of him that called you. 
as you're coming up through your teen years and, and entering your 20s and 30s even, um, this, this topic of generational faith becomes incredibly important because it's at this time of life that you begin to develop for yourself your beliefs. Um, and we've, we've talked about this over the last few weeks, but let me encourage you to do an exercise. And this exercise is going to help you uh, to understand better where you've come from and it's gonna do uh, a lot to help you as you set your next generation up for success in the future. Um, and the exercise that I want you to consider doing is to discuss, to sit down, spend some time with older generations, maybe a parent, a grandparent, maybe some aunts and uncles, um, and find some time to set aside uh, just a, maybe a lunch or a coffee or sit down with them in their, li their living room and. Just spend some time with them and ask them some questions about decisions that they've made, spiritual things that God has helped them through. Uh, ask them what the, the best sermon they ever heard was or uh, what their favorite uh, spiritual activity was or a decision maybe they made when they went to camp. And maybe ask them if they've ever been to camp or ever been to a conference or ever gone and heard a, a specific preacher that's preached. And uh, just take some time to, to develop and to learn more about who they are, where they've come from spiritually, uh, and what great things God has done in their life. Um, and what that's going to do for you is it's going to help set in motion some things that really you may be struggling already with um, because maybe they made the same decision at your age. You know, the, the Bible is clear that uh, there's such a thing as generational sins. And so the things you struggle with may be very similar things to what your parents and grandparents and uh, past generations have dealt with personally. Um, and so by understanding better some of the spiritual decisions they've made, uh, it may actually be a big benefit uh, towards you making some of those decisions yourself. And so let me encourage you to do that. The second exercise I have for you is to write down and, and record maybe in some way, maybe in a, an audio format or a video format, or uh, simply write it down as maybe a letter to yourself, but uh, write down things that you've made decisions about, growth points, uh, specific spiritual things. And the, the purpose of doing so is kind of twofold. It's first of all for your own memory. Uh, you know, as, as time goes on, maybe uh, an important decision that you feel like you've made today may gray with the years as you uh, start to forget about the importance of such a thing. And so by writing it down, you've got something that you can go back to and uh, you'll have something to reflect on in future years, but also uh, so that someday when you are training the next generation, when you have kids, when you have nieces and nephews, um, when you have grandchildren, great-grandchildren, you'll have something that will help you uh, really disciple the next generation. In fact, um, if you're familiar with any of the, the discipleship uh, curriculums that are out right now and popular in our circles, um, then you're aware that discipleship has been around for generations. Discipleship has happened since Christ left this earth a couple thousand years ago. Um, since then, discipleship has continued, and that's how we've gotten new pastors before there were ever Bible colleges. That's how uh, you know Timothy was brought in to, to, to pastor and uh, Titus and all of the different people that we see and, and generations of people that have uh, been discipled. Well, how did they get discipled? There were no Bible college. How, how did they get discipled? There's no, uh, there's no curriculum to help them do that. Really, uh, discipleship curriculums could be called discipleship for dummies. The problem is the dummies are not the people who are getting discipled. The dummies are the people who are discipling. Uh, as a discipler, we need help 
uh, to stay on task, to stay focused, to stay biblical. Um, and so discipleship curriculum and, and Bible colleges and things really help to uh, specifically push people in a specific direction to try to, to reproduce good Christian disciples. So with that in mind, by writing down some things for yourself, some spiritual decisions you've made, it will enable you to go back and systematically disciple the next generation into making some of the same decisions that have been very important for you in your life. Well, I hope that's an encouragement to you. We've got one more sermon from Pastor Ryan Thompson, and so I hope you'll tune in next week to listen to that. God bless you. Hope you have a wonderful day.